This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hello, this is Scott. Hey, back in 2006, Jesse and I tried something. Uh, we, we tried having an author of the month. Um, our first author of the month in what was going to be a long series of authors of the month, but uh, turned out we didn't continue with this idea, was Harlan Ellison, one of my favorite writers. Not only is he one of my favorite writers, but he's also, in my opinion, an excellent narrator. In fact, he, he won an award for narration. So, um, plus he's uh, really accomplished in the audio world. So, we're going to replay this interview that we did, or that I did, of him. Uh, back in May 2006. Um, I, I like the interview because there's a lot of things that we talked about that I don't hear him talk about elsewhere um, because we focused exclusively on um, science fiction audio and his role in that. Um, it was recorded, again, like I said, 2006, it was recorded with a micro cassette recorder um, on a t- uh, telephone patch. <laughs> So uh, it was before I knew much of anything about audio, uh, you know, podcasting and such. So I hopefully the sound quality is acceptable. Um, but anyway, what follows is an interview of Harlan Ellison from May 2006. Hope you enjoy it. First of all, congrats on the Grandmaster. Thank you very much. That is really awesome. And uh, so when we cut the album, it was a two-disc 
looking at my story, which formed a triptych, as it were. And uh, at the same time, we cut, uh, I cut my own album, which had Repent Harlequin on it. And I believe, no, it wasn't a boy and his dog. I'd have to look it up. It may well have been Saturday. You're probably right. Okay. Uh, you're probably not wrong. It's been so damn long. And um, I enjoyed doing them. If I'm, if I'm babbling too much or rambling too much, uh, you'll let me know. You'll stop. you say, well, let's get back on the point. Uh, I enjoyed doing it so much because I had grown up on radio and listening to uh, Ben Grauer, the, uh, uh, the sportscaster, or uh, listening to Orson Welles, uh, or listening to, uh, to, the, uh, to the announcers. Uh, I, I came to love that rich, rolling, mellifluous uh, resonance uh, there were people of whom it was uh, truly said, uh, and I think Ben Grauer was, was the one that, that I grasped at most quickly, uh, or Red Allen, who was a sportscaster, that if you were passing through a room and they were speaking, you stopped to listen, that their voices were that mesmerizing. And so I, uh, uh, I, I uh, always had that milieu in me. It was part of my, part of my uh, uh, pop culture upbringing. In the, uh, in the 40s. So uh, I discovered that I had such a good time doing those recordings that it tied right in with the readings I had been doing because I was, I was uh, a constant, a peripatetic, if you will, reader of my own work at conventions and at uh, 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 literary gatherings and all sorts of things. I loved reading aloud. Uh, a footnote to that was... Uh, a comment that was made by uh, a, uh, 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 a literary critic named Joseph Patrish, P-A-T-R-O-U-C-H, Joe Patrish, uh, who was at some Midwestern university who said that my recordings were in the tradition of uh, Chaucer, who read to his students under the trees, and uh, his were the first you know, uh, well, probably not the first. I'm, I'm sure that Ovid and, and, uh, and Plato uh, read aloud to their students in the, uh, in the, in the Lyceum. But uh, uh, Chaucer's, Chaucer's readings were famous because they were the first sort of uh, auctorial, not authorial, but auctorial, auctorial uh, performance art. And uh, I'd always had that, having, having been an actor and, you know, been in children's theater and all those kind of things, and the radio and movies. Uh, reading aloud to an audience became, for me, uh, a mark of dramatic presentation. And uh, I never shied from it. I was never nervous about it. I always loved doing it and watching the reactions of a live audience as you as you put the nuance into a sentence, as you as you draw out a word for dramatic effect and, 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 and whisper it and then suddenly, you know, exclaim loudly. And I thought, you know, this is a really good thing. And simultaneously, simultaneously with my discovery of my own personal pleasure in doing this was a series of things that annoyed me, uh, all, of, uh, all of a kind. And, and what they were was uh, I was sort of discovered by the academy, my, my universities, and they began teaching my stories. And 
It was restraint of trade kind of thing, but they did it with everybody. And so Cape Mount became huge. 
than that. It was just amazing, amazing, amazing stuff all the way back. Uh, but we, we did all right because I sold the records only through subscription. So we, uh, we, 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 we threw out advertisements for the, for the Herc, and uh, we got about 1,000 members. And I, it, it provided the money to, to do the new discs and provide good art, pretty, pretty art, Leo and Diane Dillon and Punch Shots and, and guys like that who did the, uh, the, the wonderful covers, Kit Bash. And um, we sold virtually everything we printed, uh, we, uh, we, we pressed. If we did 1,000, we sold 1,000. There were uh, something like 100 or 200 of those 1,000 that were considered limited editions because I would personally sign them and they were numbered. And they've now become huge sellers on the Internet. Um, and uh, we redid uh, we did, we redid the Saturday uh, Repent Harlequin album. Uh, Warner Brothers picked up on it and uh, wanted me to do another one. I did A Boy and His Dog and uh, Repent Harlequin for them on, uh, on, on uh, cassette. And that sort of started. And, and uh, since then I've won, oh, the Listen Up Award from Publishers Weekly three or four times. I've won, uh, I've been, I can't, my, 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 my best one was, um, I was shortlisted for the Grammy one year and I came in second to Sir Ralph Richardson and Sir John Gielgud doing, um, Audio literature. Audio 
literature in it. But uh, very shortly, I'll be buying up all of those, and we're probably going to redo them for Blackstone. Blackstone has been negotiating for them, and we'll be doing those. Plus, we'll be doing a new one. We'll be doing a, a volume three very, very soon. Now, Deep Shag, uh, Deep Shag recordings do all of my On the Road with Ellison albums. And uh, that's Michael Reed. And uh, he does very well with those. We've done two of them, and we're going to be doing a third. And so I, I don't I don't like to say 
say that I read better than anyone else or worse than anyone else. I just think it's I'm different. Uh, I've listened to uh, to all the you know the really good ones. And in fact, as you know, Stefan is the one who discovered Scott Brick, who is now apparently one of the one of the very hot readers. And uh, uh, Stefan, whose who's, who's opinion I value very very highly, he's one of the most erudite, most uh, widely read and intelligent human beings I've ever known. I mean, a man of, of of enormous uh, uh, abilities himself, and not to mention that incredible sonorous voice of his, which is just, you know, breathtaking. Uh, he, he seems to think that I have a quality, and I wouldn't go so far as to say it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a special quality, but he finds it of value, and that uh, that makes me very happy, and, uh, and, uh, and and makes me think that what I'm doing is worthwhile. Well, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, well, you won an audio award. For uh, yeah. Stay of Darkness, but yeah, uh, that's right. I did. I did. I did do that. Yeah. So I mean, do you, it, it must be a different experience to read other people's work than it is to read your own. Like you said, you're you're kind of doing it um, for interpretation reasons. Or yeah. That's one of the reasons. But what about when you read like a Wizard of Earth Sea and uh, some of Ben Bova's material? Um, well, it, it, with with Ben's material, I mean, Ben writes. Ben and I are being very. and 
uh, they mumbled, and uh, uh, Stefan was always right there to, to get me back on the track and get me back into that voice. But reading Ben's work was, uh, in that particular case, was, was really a challenge. Uh, the same thing happened with the Williamson. There were four, five, four, four or five major characters who kept coming in and out, in and out, and, uh, and interacting. And so uh, I, I would find myself putting the mannerisms of one speaker into another speaker that I'd have to go back to in another way. Uh, the thing that that I that I'm proudest of, I suppose, is that Stefan says we have to do very, very, very few retakes. Very, very few. When I when I start working, we go straight on through. Uh, there'll be a word perhaps that I've never heard before, and I and I mispronounce it, and then Stefan will stop me, and he'll say no. In uh, uh, in Hungarian, that word would be pronounced uh, langos, and uh, not langos. And I and I say, oh, okay, langos. Thank you very much. And then I'll talk in Hungarian for a while. And uh, he can speak. Uh, again, he's he's he's, uh, he's he's supernal in that he speaks many many different languages, and if he doesn't know them, he knows how the syntax should work. So when I read my own stuff, I know what I meant, of course, and I know who the character is because I wrote him and I saw him. I envision him. When I write, I always see what I'm writing. It's like sitting down and watching a movie and then turning off the movie and writing what I saw in my head. But when I'm reading someone else's work, I have I have to be first true to their intent, second true to their uh, statement, and third, and I keep wanting to do this when they get it when they're incorrect in their grammar, I keep trying to correct them. And and uh, ordinarily with most with most uh, houses they don't mind because nobody's gonna really check it and, and I'll and I'll say that's a split infinitive and I just you know, it just doesn't look good for the writer. I don't I don't really want to embarrass them that way. Let me correct it. With Blackstone, they are absolute they're 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 rigid. They if it's an error in the book, you put the error in and and it, that just makes me crazy. Yeah. And sometimes I cannot do it. Sometimes I just can't do it. Uh, a writer will mistake cryonics for cryogenics. They think it's the same word. It isn't. One of them is, one of them is the actual general medium of freezing things, whether the things are sausages or bidets or, or platypuses. The other is the freezing of human beings, specifically. And if it's wrong, I won't. I just won't do it. And I say, I'm going to do it right. If they don't like it, you, you have them, you know, call me up on the carpet for it and I'll and, and if they force me to you know at gunpoint to change it I will but I, I said you know let them check with the author and tell them Ellison said this is wrong so uh, uh, I, I think there's no point in wasting what knowledge you have just to be a marching moron yeah. you know one of the one of the one of the one of the uh, the Oberskopenführers <laughs> you bet you know, another thing that Rudnicki does um, that I enjoy, um, he, he started to have a lot of commentary, and you said you were going to do that for the Williamson book. But like Room for the Stars, you, you talked about yeah. uh, some, of the, some of your time in New York in, yeah. the, in the late 50s and early 60s. And also in King Kong, you've added some commentary. Yes, yes. Well, I've done that on a number of things. I did it on, I've done it on a lot of DVDs as well. Uh, uh, the Batman, the Val Luton, uh, the King Kong. Uh, yeah, it's something I enjoy doing, and I don't know why we we never did it before. But uh, it's, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's great. To, it's great pleasure to do those things. That's, that's great. Okay, now we'll uh, go ahead and talk a little bit about some drama. Um, just as a as a first question, you know, back 
you know, as you said, when you were growing up, you grew up on the radio. Right. What do you think science fiction was so popular back then on the radio? Well, I'm saying, yeah, back, back when? <laughs> well, I mean, what, when, we, when we weren't fighting off the Triceratops? <laughs>
Now, he likes to fancy himself a, uh, a student of the genre, but in fact, he doesn't really know much. And he was intent on taking mostly things out of the public domain, no matter how boring they were. He, uh, you know, he wanted to use Jonathan Swift and Mark Twain, and, and that's fine if you do short pieces, but these are these long, talky, Orwellian lectures. You know, well, here we are in the world of the future, and as you can see, these buildings rise a full 300 years, and on and on and on and on. And uh, I came on board uh, as the <laughs> allegedly uh, came on board uh, to be the narrator, uh, the host of the show, to do the kind of comments that I do, that I'm doing with you, uh, based on my my background and my and my my credentials in the field. Plus, uh, I was going to do uh, some of the acting, and uh, I was going to uh, adapt some of my own work. Uh, particularly, Ben Harlequin said the TikTok man, which he wanted me to adapt because I suggested, well, if we're going to do that, we should get Robin Williams to do it with me. He had done some years before, uh, this man whose name I will not mention, um, uh, he had done a version of Robert Heinlein's story by his bootstraps with Richard Dreyfuss, and Ricky was, a, Ricky was an old friend of mine from uh, way, 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 way before he even did Jaws or, or anything like that. Ricky was still, uh, was still a stand-up comedian. And uh, because I knew Richard and I knew uh, 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 Robin and I knew a number of other fairly well-known actors, many of whom did, uh, did spoken word, uh, I was sort of a, a, an all-around good kind of person to hire. Uh, but he and I ran afoul of each other's personalities very quickly, uh, not to mention that he smoked like a chimney and my wife wouldn't allow him in the house because he stank. And uh, I discovered very soon that um, it was his way or the highway. And though I stayed on for the full run, and we in fact eventually won the Ray Bradbury Award for, uh, for the, you know, best multimedia, whatever they all, it had only been, uh, it had only been um, uh, accorded once before, uh, he set about removing most of my commentaries from the um, uh, from the openings and closings of the shows. Yeah. So, so when you when you order them from uh, online or wherever the hell it is, he sells them. Uh, he pocketed most of the money. I got one payment of ten grand right at the outset. That was it. Uh, he pocketed all the NPR money. He uh, he used a lot of it for himself. He hired uh, a lot of very good actors. He hired a number of people that he knew personally and uh, got kicked out. I mean, he just, there was just a whole, uh, it, it became a real spider's nest of unpleasantness. And I, and I, uh, when the day we were done, we, we were shut of each other. And uh, though subsequently he became very, 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 very petty about all manner of things up to and including removing my, my, uh, my intros. So uh, it was it was a it was a good experience. We worked. Uh, oh God, I don't know. I think it was two years. I worked on that thing. And uh, you know, if you come down to you know per hour wage, I was making about thirty cents an hour working for him. I didn't write any of the annotations. Um, I did the repent Harlequin, I believe. I didn't do any of the others. I uh, I recommended the stories. And I recommended some of the writers. And, of course, he wanted to write them all himself because then he could keep the money from the writing, too. So uh, it was, uh, it's one, it, was it, be it became a, uh, I, I don't know, and then NPR treated us like shit. Uh, they said, well, you know, people want music. They, they don't want to hear people talking. <laughs> and uh, they had no 
respect for the spoken word. They had no respect for the idea of a dramatic series. Uh, you couldn't find us on the dial. When you could, we weren't there two weeks running. And uh, it broke my heart because I had worked like a dog on it. And uh, it, 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 most people don't even know what happened. And why, what interested you so much that you would, you would do that? I mean, were you, were you hoping to, to basically redo what you had heard as a kid? Or? Well, yeah, you know, nostalgia gets you. I, I had, for instance, earlier, uh, uh, my television career, I had been fed up with television. I couldn't stand doing series anymore. And I was doing nothing but movies and uh, pilots for, uh, for, uh, for series. And, 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 and that was good money. And, and nobody was busting my chops. If they filmed it fine, if they didn't, that was fine, too. But radio I had always loved. Loved it without reserve. Loved it without... the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.